Welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts ourselves and our world. I'm Hallie Casey, and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad, and I don't know anything about this, so let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production that confuses a lot of people, including me. And try to get Hallie to explain it so that we can understand it. And this week we are focusing on food waste. Hi Dad, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Hallie? I'm pretty good. I'm excited to talk about food waste today. Yeah, I've... uh... So this bakery in town that I used to work at is closing down and mm-hmm. I've been going all week, you know, buying treats and, and stocking up and uh, I don't know, I, I guess I better eat them all. Although if I eat them all, I'm like, if you eat food and you don't need it, is it still going to waste or it is, is wasting <laughs> food just throwing food away? And what does food waste have to do with agriculture anyway? I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, if you eat food and, and you don't need it, it kind of is still going to waste. And, and I'll talk about that's that. that's not even a pun. I know. <laughs> then how would you define food waste? Especially, I was I was sort of confused because I think of mm. food waste as like, you know, something goes bad and you throw it out or, or you scrape your plate and you put a bunch of stuff in the trash. But how is it, how are you defining it and what does it have to do with agriculture? So there's two there's two terms that I'm kind of going to use throughout the episode, and one of them is food waste, and the other one is food loss. So basically, if we think about the entire chain from like seed to you know consumer to mouth, seed to mouth, um, then food loss is what happens right before it hits the grocery store or the restaurant um, or where, wherever it is that it's going to you know kind of get to the point where it's meeting the consumer. And Everything before just that. Don't know where the food is. No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, it's not physically lost. Um, But you'll have food loss like if you harvest it and, you know, it gets put on the truck and then it, you know, bursts or something like that or it spoils or... I see. You know, it, it it's, grows ugly, so we toss it out. Or, you know, it's not stored correctly, so, you know, it, it starts to mold or something like this. All that before it hits the consumer while it's still in the field or in transportation or in storage um, is all considered food loss. And then once it hits the grocery store, consumer, and food service, it's considered food waste. Because at that point, it's considered to be like at the end market. So everything after that is wasted and everything before that is lost. And it's kind of confusing, but it really helps agricultural economists to understand these two ideas separately to kind of see where the holes in the production chain are. So I I remember um, one of the times... uh, either visiting you in California or moving into school, mm-hmm. driving up the highway, and there'd be these um, big open-back trucks full of tomatoes. Yeah, And every once in a while, I'd see, like, something fly out, or I can imagine them just sort of, you know, the truck hitting a bump and a bunch of tomatoes just kind of going everywhere. I guess Definitely. that's that would fall under the whole food loss category. Yeah, and that in that case, they are physically losing the tomatoes. So oh, that is, yeah, go. that's true as well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's okay. kind of a it's kind of a joke in Northern California that if you like drive up in August, the roads are like covered in tomatoes. It's really really funny. Oh actually. wow! <laughs> yeah, you like turn around a curve or something on the highway, and there's just tomatoes strewn across the highway. So yes, that is a very good example of food loss. Put a little uh, mozzarella and basil on there, and you got yourself a margarita. <laughs> 
a margarita asphalt pizza. That's right. That's right. So when we think about this idea of losing and wasting food, it kind of typically breaks down between developed and developing countries. Um, So worldwide, about 32% of food is lost, which is a really significant chunk. Lost lost or wasted. I made the point to define these terms. So lost or wasted. Um, In developing countries, that number breaks down to 2210. So 22% of food is lost before it hits market. And then 10% is lost at market or at the consumer level. And then in developed countries, so like the US, that number breaks down to 1220. So 12% is lost somewhere in the supply chain and 20% is lost at the consumer or retail or food service level. So it's kind of flipped, but that number is the same. That 32% is the same regardless of where you are. But in terms of who is losing or wasting the food, where that's happening along the chain, it just varies kind of based on the economic status of the country and their ability to you know, provide infrastructure to you know, protect the food before it gets to retail or the consumer or retail's attitudes towards the food once it gets there. Yeah, that was sort of the inferences that I was starting to make is mm-hmm. is getting the food, you know, the, the the people selling the food are sort of caring very much about it. And, and I don't know, there, there's a lot of uh, developed infrastructure there to yeah. prevent economic loss on the way to the consumer. Yeah. And then once people have the food, I mean, here, for the most part, it's so cheap and easy to get that they hardly think about it. Definitely, definitely. There is like a crazy amount of science done before the food gets to you to, to make it last as long as possible. It used to be um, before before we had all of this really complicated what's called post-harvest processing. Apples, after you harvest them, would last about two weeks um, before they would start to go bad. But now, guess guess how long the average apple can last after it's been processed properly? Okay, so hang on. What do you mean by after it's been processed properly? It's like that's after it's been picked or? Yeah, so after it's been picked and then goes through this whole complicated chain of like storing it so that it's optimum so that it can like have its longest lifespan and keep the most quality possible. Okay, well, we can talk about what that is later. But um, I don't know, a month? A year. A year? An apple can last a year? A year. And the apples that you buy at the store are typically six months or older. Yeah. Whoa. So I, I could know. be buying year old apples. <laughs> yeah, you could. And they're very delicious. And that's because there is this really there's there's all these different scientific concepts that have been applied to make these really, really specific storage um, facilities or specific processes that things will go to to make them last as long as possible. So there's a couple of different things that, you know, that looks like. Um, One thing that's really, really emphasized is the cold chain and now the dry chain as well. The cold chain kind of came first, and now we're also realizing that something called the dry chain is also very important. Okay, because if I have an apple tree in my yard and I go pick an apple, it's not going to sit on the counter for a year before I can eat it. No, it'll last about two weeks. Okay. But... If, if if you are, you know you pick it and you're an agriculturalist and you immediately know how to pack it and know how to process it so that it stays fresh and stays alive for as long as possible then it can stay alive for a year wow okay so yeah. these these chains which you mentioned I mean there are just methods and, and processes for for storing fresh food so that they stay yeah. 
good longer for two weeks, which consider this, you know, considering the scale of, of Western agriculture, I mean, that makes sense that you would need something like that. It's yeah, it's very important. Um, so yeah, you have the cold chain and the dry chain, which is basically the idea of getting produce cool and dry as soon as possible. And so this is true for most things, except for leafy greens. We don't want them to be dry because they'll dry out. But for pretty much everything else, if you get it cool and dry, then it can last a whole lot longer. And the idea of the chain is is keeping it cool and dry up until the point that it hits the consumer, that it hits you know retail or food service or goes straight to the consumer. So it's it's that kind of like having a link in the chain and making sure it stays at that temperature. Because if it's broken, then that's when you start to have like some kind of decay or you can have mold get in or something like that. So you have stuff like complicated transport systems, complicated harvest systems. So that as soon as you take something off of the plant, it's immediately you know chilled or something like that. And then you also have this really, I took a whole class on this, so I, I find this part the most fascinating, but you have storage systems where the gas levels are controlled very specifically. So if you take oxygen out and add a lot of CO2, so you have a majority CO2 atmosphere around the produce, it will senesce a lot more slowly, it w- so it'll whoa. be able to last a lot longer. It's going to what? Senesce, die. Senesce is a fancy word Finesse. for die. okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so if you think of like those bags of spinach that you get at the grocery store, inside the bag, it has a totally different atmosphere than outside the bag. It's usually like 80% CO2 inside the bag itself. no way. I know, it's crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) It's like, I kind of want to, I kind of, I don't know, I don't know how I would do something with that, but I almost kind of want to like go... Like, just open up a bag of spinach and breathe it in and see what happens. See what happens? <laughs> Probably absolutely nothing, but that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And with some other crops like tomatoes and bananas, they'll harvest them before they're ripe because if they're, you know, not ripe, then they haven't lived as long. And so yeah. that you can store them before they ripe. And then right before they go to market... They pump a gas in called ethylene, which makes them ripen. Mm-hmm. And then once once they're ripe, then they tend to senesce or die more quickly because, you know, evolutionarily, the plant knows that now the seeds are ready, the seeds are mature. It's able to just kind of kill the fruit off and, and wait for the next year. So they kind of keep it unripe for a long time. And then right when it's time for it to go to market, it will, they'll like pump ethylene in and then the ethylene will mature their, their fruit and it'll be ready to go to the consumer. So once a piece of produce gets to market, is it then at the uh, sort of the two week point? Yeah, um, it depends on the produce for sure. Like tomatoes will not last as okay. long as apples, but for for things like apples, potatoes, um, onions, those ones, yeah, at that point they're not having this complex process system, and so they'll they'll last about two weeks. Other things will last less, you know long things like lettuce tomatoes spinach things are a little bit more fragile and kind of go a bit more quickly but yeah that's typically typically how it works is that you can extend the lifespan for as long as you want before it gets to the retail point but then once it gets to the retail point the industry kind of isn't managing it and it's more the store is managing it or it's sitting in a a freezer at a restaurant or you know a consumer has put it in their fridge or something and you can't have that same kind of complex processing so yeah that's amazing it's it's so crazy i took a whole class on this yeah and i had to do a presentation on strawberry post-harvest processing and that is wild because when you buy strawberries typically one person has touched them before one person they they like take a little cart out 
Strawberry picking is like some of the most difficult farm labor that there is. But basically, yeah, you take a little say. cart out into the field and you pick a strawberry, you rinse it, and then you put it in the box, like that clamshell that you buy at the grocery store, and then you like go to the next plant. And like they are putting it actually in the box that you buy at the grocery store in the field itself. Wow. Yeah. Strawberry post-harvest is next level crazy. Things, The things that people go through so we can get our, our yeah, fruit. Yeah. It's really, really amazing what can happen. But pretty much all of that is on the food loss side. So optimizing those post-harvest chains and those post-harvest processes is to prevent food loss. Yep. But today we're talking about food waste, which is the other half of the equation. Okay. Go on. So... So the industry has done some things and can still do some things to prevent food waste. They can't do as much when you're talking about fresh produce. But recently I was in Peru and my friend Hannah and I bought some bread and we were like, oh, we're going on a hike tomorrow. This will be a great snack. And it wasn't a great snack because it was fresh bread and it didn't have all the preservatives that we're used to. So it was pretty stale by the next day because it had been baked the day before. Um, yeah. And so the industry is, is able to do, you know, things like adding preservatives into bread um, or, you know, pasteurizing milk or, you know, canning things, creating what we call value added products like frozen Totina's pizza rolls. They're able to kind of reduce the amount of waste that, right. that we have to go to as, as a consumer because we can buy a whole loaf of bread and it'll last us two weeks. And that's great. So the industry can do some things like that, but a lot of things are kind of on us as to whether or not we waste them. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like, in my mind, most of it's just sort of, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know that I want to say cultural, yeah. but it's just sort of a, a habit that we're in of, of just kind of, you know, uh, cooking large meals and, you know, not eating all of them or, or buying a bunch of stuff that we don't need. And I mean, if it is fresh produce, then it just goes bad because we don't ever get around to doing anything with it yeah there's some really interesting psychology behind that and it's it's kind of developed over the past century when you think about like in 1900 food was about 43 percent of the average american's bills oh wow and then in 1950 that dropped to 30 percent and today it's 9.6 percent of our bills so it's just it's a much smaller investment that we're making so we're able to not value it the same way and we're able to let things go bad because it's not it's not an expense that we're really incurring the same way that we used to there's also there's some really interesting psychological research that has been done on this where they found that if you ask someone about food waste they're like oh yeah food waste is really it's a bad problem you know i i think it's pretty lousy and and i try to you know not waste that much food i really i think i'm pretty good at it i think i probably waste less than the average person but then when they actually look at it, every like they don't waste less than the average person. They they waste just as much. And it's cuz we play these kind of tricks on ourselves. Like I'm sure I'm sure you've done this. I know I have done this where you like buy a head of lettuce and you eat part of it and then you're like I really am not going to finish that. And you know that, but you leave it in your fridge until it's gone bad. And then you're like, oh, "Okay, now I'll throw it out." Even though before like you knew you weren't going to finish it. But you had to leave it in your fridge until it started to get slimy and nasty. Slimy lettuce is one of the worst things ever to be <laughs> in a fridge. It is so horrible. But do you throw out fresh lettuce? Definitely not. You, <laughs> never, see? never. You see? Throw out fresh lettuce. <laughs> it's it's like these these games that we play yeah. with ourselves where we're like, oh, I'm I'm going to save this food. I'm not wasting it. But it did go bad, so now I'll toss it out. 
but it's going bad because we're wasting it because we're not using it. And this waste, you know, habit has come from a lot of things. It's come from us spending less on our food. It's come from portion sizes getting bigger, which, you know, kind of happened in the 50s and 60s when that idea of being a consumer and getting a deal became like really important. So it was less about like, am I getting enough food that I can like eat a meal and more about like, am I getting as much food as I can for the dollar? So like if you go to Olive Garden and you get a whole big thing of pasta and you know you're going to eat like half of it and take the rest home and you know there's like a 30% chance you're actually going to finish all of it and the rest of it's just going to get thrown out. But you feel good about that. You feel really good about that because you know you're getting a good deal on this like massive amount of fettuccine Alfredo that you just bought. I also always wondered about the whole idea of uh, three square meals a day. Yeah, yeah. Which seemed kind of arbitrary and, and like almost sort of contributes to this, uh, you know, oh, well, it's this, it's this time of the day and now we need to eat food. Yeah. And a, a lot of those three square meals, like that idea kind of formed around the American Workday, which developed in the 1900s and the late 19th century. And, and you know, people having having to work for, you know, eight hours or 10 hours a day and, and needing food in the middle. But also the idea of like a square meal kind of was created a little bit by the industry. And it's, it's not necessarily... There's, there's not really a definition for what a square meal is. And right. be- because we're so susceptible to marketing, the idea of a square meal has been developed as something with a starch and a meat and maybe a vegetable if you have it, but something pretty large and pretty substantial. And smaller meals are just, they're not really seen and marketed the same way because companies want to sell food. They do indeed. They do indeed. We also have, we also have snacking, which seems to be a thing. And mm-hmm. I don't... I don't know if that plays a role or not. I mean, in in what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any statistics on on how prevalent snacking is and the relationship with food waste, but in terms of in terms of over purchasing, which is really what what you see a lot in developed countries and is the main reason for food waste is you see over purchasing and bulk purchasing. That's really significant. So like a lot of times when people talk about you know, reducing food waste and people, I mean, like academics who study this, they say the most common way that's really reliable to reduce food waste is to not shop in bulk and to shop more often. So if you shop like twice a week or three times a week, then you really know what's in your fridge and you're shop- right. you're, you're buying less. So you're, you know, buying something and then going home and cooking it or something like that. And what's more common and what really leads to food waste is buying in bulk, buying large quantities, eating large portion sizes, things like this is what really kind of leads to that to that food waste issue. But for for a lot of what it is is it's it's just kind of this weird psychological thing that that we have and a, and a cultural thing that's been developed as acceptable. And two to two to three times a week at the grocery store. Ain't nobody got time for that. I know. I know. That's totally <laughs> true. No, that's totally true. Like grocery shopping is, as as stores get bigger and bigger and our options expand, it becomes way more laborious to actually shop. Like it's so much harder. Like I I lived in a place for a while that had like three aisles in the grocery store and a produce section. And I was like, oh, I could handle that. I could do that twice a week. But if you're going to like a massive HEB or like a Walmart or something like that, it takes a lot more time. There's like hiking involved. It's like a hike to get around the grocery store. That's true. It is. As much as I love HEB. <laughs> and so there's there's like all these really complicated social taboos and moralizing around food waste. You know, I, I'm sure you've heard the old adage like, oh, you have to finish your dinner because there are children starving in Africa. 
But that's not really relevant, actually. That's not right. relevant. Because whether or not you finish this food it has nothing to do with whether or not children will starve in Africa. It has no yeah. impact on anyone else. And it's not like you can package it up and send it to them. No, you can't. Um, you can reduce food waste by, you know, shopping more often, buying less, cooking more, really knowing what's in your fridge. But eating the food on your plate is not it's not really impacting anything from like the larger global sense. And it's unhealthy. Yeah, and it's unhealthy probably. If you're full, then you're full. Yep. All right, well, this is super interesting, but I think it's also a good time for the break. So let's jump into the break. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of One to Grow On. We're having a lot of fun making the show. If you like the show and would like to support us, you can head to our Patreon, which is... Uh, Patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. Yeah, we have lots of different tiers. They're all named after different kinds of fruits, which I think is very cute. You can be a star fruit or a honeydew or a pumpkin. We have lots of different things. You can get outtakes. You can get a special little highlight of a plant each month where we talk about interesting facts and history about specific plants. You can even get yourself drawn as your favorite plant. That is true. That is true. I hope that someone is able to contribute that much uh, just because my, our friend slash sister slash daughter who has volunteered to draw people as plants is a very talented artist and you can pick any plant you want and she will draw you as a little plant. That'd be really cute. <laughs> so again, that's patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. We would much appreciate your support. Yeah. And, you know, if you like the show and you, you want to support it, the best way to do that is just sharing it with your friends, you know, anyone in your network, tweeting about us, getting the word out about our show. And yeah, if, if you like the show and you think some other people might as well, then share it. Awesome. Well, let's jump back into the episode. So like, like what else? Where, where are we in this, in this discussion now? I feel like We've gone pretty far. Like, how does it affect the world? I mean, mm. I, I kind of like, I almost, you know, care a little less about it now. I mean, I'm pretty conscientious with my shopping. And, yeah. and I hate it when food goes bad in my fridge. I absolutely yeah. hate it. So I try to be conscious of eating things um, before they go bad. But uh, if I you know, cook a meal and I've got a little bit left on my plate and I'm full. Uh, seems like throwing it away is no big deal. Yeah, it does seem like it's no big deal. Um, and I, I'm kind of hesitant to kind of prescribe a solution to this problem because food is very political. And so I can't just say like, oh, you know, buy less and invest in your food and buy higher quality food that you're more likely to eat. Because that's not an option for many people. Right. You know, like if if you're, you know, living on a low income, then you have to, you know, buy what you can buy. And I don't want to demonize that or make it seem like that's a bad behavior because it's, it's not. It's just survival. And it's it's kind of just where we're at. But if, if you have the means, recognizing that the Costco shopping is not always the way to reduce your food waste and maybe that's not your goal with your shopping, but if it is, if it's something that you want to think about and be conscientious of, 
then, you know, buying in bulk is not the way to go. Being aware of your portion size is something that's really key. And then also there's there's also like sell-by dates and best-by dates and, you know, expiration dates, which oftentimes we use to indicate whether or not we keep something in the pantry if it's a dry good or, or if we keep something in the fridge if it's a dairy product or something like that. And kind of understanding a little bit more the background of those because those are not actually very reliable and are pretty much never based in science. Oh, lovely. So is it just based on, hey, we'd like you to buy more stuff now? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Oh, it's it's man. that and it's also it's also a way for companies to kind of duck under any potential issues with any food safety stuff. So, you know, it is true that the longer you keep something, the more likely it is to become unsafe food, but your chances are still very low. Your chances are still very low and our bodies can kind of recognize when something's unsafe. You know, it smells bad or it tastes bad or it's kind of slimy or chunky. And we're like, oh, this doesn't smell or taste good. And that's kind of a really good signal. Follow follow those signs. For the most part, they'll lead you straight. The only thing that, you know, I would be really cautious of is things with mold or meat that's, you know, been a little bit old because meat is something that can actually be very dangerous. But for pretty much everything else, you know, it's, it's not going to kill you. It's never going to kill you. You know, you might get a stomach ache. But you're probably not. Like your chances of getting a stomach ache from processed foods are very, very low. But these sell-by dates, these best-by dates are pretty much industry regulated. The FDA. Just capitalism trying to manipulate yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's actually a really interesting story of the origin of sell-by dates, which I have no idea if it's actually true. It might be an urban legend. But there's a story that Al Capone's family got really sick from some bad milk. And so, like, he, like, lobbied the mayor of Chicago to create, like, sell-by dates for milk. And it just kind of ballooned from there. And it, it became something that we do, you know, worldwide. No way. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's the story. <laughs> that's amazing. I know. I don't I know. I hope that's true. <laughs> I hope that's true. Yeah, I I don't, I, I could not fact check that. But it seems like a good story to me. Um, yeah, there's, there's two things that... One, one that the FDA regulates and one that the USDA regulates. So the FDA regulates sell-by dates um, for baby food because baby food has to have the nutritional content that it includes on the label. And so the longer something's in a can, it will sometimes degrade the actual nutrition of it. You'll, you know, the, the nutrients in it will break down. Um, so they require dates like that for baby food, um, not because it becomes unsafe, but because it becomes less nutritious. And then the USDA regulates dates for pork because pork can actually be dangerous if you eat it when it's old. So, okay, yeah, for pretty much everything else, it does not go bad. Or if it does go bad, you'll notice. You'll really notice. Like if you have expired milk, you'll really notice if it's actually expired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you open that jug and it does not smell good. Exactly. But for things, especially things that are frozen and canned, they're probably not going to go bad. There is no time. There is no date where canned food will go bad if it's not rusted and if it's not dented or, or otherwise opened, and if it's not exposed to extreme heat or cold. If it stays at room temperature, it can be good for ever. Apparently, there's been no science to prove that things will ever go bad. It might start to taste a little bit off or a little bit different, right. but it's not going to be unsafe to eat. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. I've heard. Um... That if a can like gets either indented or, or outdented, you know, meaning if it forms like a little bulge on it, then you should definitely definitely like 
not eat the contents of that can, but otherwise it's probably okay. Yeah, if it gets indented, there might be a chance that air was able to enter in, like it might have created a small hole or something like that. And if it's outdented, that typically means that it was exposed to extreme heat or cold and something in the gases changed within the can itself, and so it expanded. So, yes, if your can looks funky... If there's like rust on it or if it's malformed, don't eat it. But if your can looks fine and it's six years old, it's it's safe to eat. I won't tell you it's really delicious, but it is safe to eat. So now I almost kind of want to get like a, a, a CO2 tank for my fridge. <laughs> and I can put, you know, I get the, the box of the box of field greens that uh-huh. I like to get for salad. And every time I close it, I just refill it with CO2 so it doesn't get all slimy as quickly. Yeah, do it. Do it. Okay. There we <laughs> You'll go. have to get do you know like in a in those big freezers they have those like big plastic strips? I have no idea what you're talking about. Like when you walk into a freezer and then the Oh those, like, the the plastic. sort of door. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like the kinda like the beads that would hang down from exactly. the doors in the seventies. Exactly. Except it's for keeping cold air in. Yeah. Yeah, except for that it's also for keeping gases in. So you could get some. No of those. way. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So <laughs> Um, I just sort of looked over the show notes real quick, and there was one thing that you hadn't talked about, and I don't, I almost worry about going there, and and you did put a thing about climate change. Oh yeah. How is that even? How is that even related? So that's a great question. So when you thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So when you talk about like the the social aspects of food waste. One of the main ones is climate change. So when you throw food out, it begins to rot in the landfill and it creates a gas called methane. Do you know methane? CH4. Yeah. Yeah. It's fart gas. Do you Yeah, do you know anything <laughs> about methane related to climate change? Um, I know it's a it's considered I think a Fourier gas. And for people that don't know what that is, uh, I don't really either. It was a word I heard in a class I took about 10 years ago. <laughs> I don't um, know but it, it's one of the gases that uh, will take, you know, heat energy from the sun yeah. uh, and absorb it and then sort of re-release it in such a way that, you know, it help, uh heats up the atmosphere. And it does. I'm probably yeah. mangling something, but I bet you can explain it better. Yeah. So it, it does. It heats up the atmosphere and CO2 does this as well. But CH4 will actually do it to a much greater extent. Okay. It's like 10 or 15 times more powerful in terms of creating climate change and warming the planet than CO2 is. So when we do waste food, there is an effect on the climate itself. We're creating all this methane that, you know, is coming off of landfills and it heats, it heats up the atmosphere. It just does. Um, And that's science, folks. If you can compost your food waste, which I know is not possible a lot of places, like if you live in a tiny apartment, but if you can compost your food waste, then you're really reducing the amount of methane that goes off. In most um, compost piles, that carbon is, instead of being converted into CH4 or CO2, it's just converted into like a solid carbon that will go back into the soil, which is great. And that's what we want. I'm I'm probably going to come back to composting in most episodes. Okay, wait. So, so food in the landfill is bad. But food in a compost pile is somehow better. Yeah, so basically when, when something rots, it's, it's going through a very specific process that's letting off a lot of carbon through creating a gas and it, it goes up into the atmosphere. 
when we are composting, what we're actually doing is there's lots of tiny little microbes and bugs and worms okay. that eat that carbon and then they poop it back out. So it doesn't turn into a gas. It like stays. <laughs> yeah. It like stays in a it's like a it's like a solid form of carbon that can go back into the soil instead of going oh, wow. up okay. into into the atmosphere. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Good to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, worms and microbes, for I know, taking care of that for great. us. They're great. They're like my favorite animals. Well, wow. Um, my mind's a little blown. So when we're talking, in terms of the agricultural mm-hmm. chain, we're usually talking about food loss. Yes. Right. Okay. And then post-chain, you know, consumer table, we're talking about food waste. Correct. And everyone, well... We're not going to tell everyone what they need to do, but if they, you know, are more conscious of, of what they buy and eat smaller portions, then they can reduce food waste, and yes. that would be helpful in the world. And I don't know. I remember uh, earlier you said, I don't remember exactly what it was about. I think it was about apples. You said the words crazy amount of science. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's the takeaway is just. There's just a crazy amount of science. Absolutely. I would love to do a whole other episode that's just about like the post-harvest processing processes because they're oh, like boy. so fascinating to me. They're amazing. <laughs> now we're just in the weeds. That's all right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. If you would like to support the show, you can rate and review us on iTunes or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. If you'd like to connect with us, find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or at our website at one to grow on This show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It's produced by Catherine RJ and Hallie Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free, and our show art is by Mariah Coley. Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. Until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.